You're listening to episode three of the Divine Nobodies podcast with me, your host, Eric Ajna. In today's episode, I will be discussing the current and heightened social and political climate around the George Floyd protests happening around the world. We'll also be discussing the spiritual dynamics of belief within organized religion and how our personal and collective beliefs shape our reality. I'll begin by sharing the journey of a beloved Eastern spiritual teacher we know as Jiddu Krishnamurti. And we'll end the segment with sharing some empowering insight as to the truth and nature of love. So grateful for you to join us. This is the Divine Nobody's Podcast, a place for those looking to find themselves in the one place we all know we can, in each other. Namaste. Thank you for tuning in to the Divine Nobody's podcast. My name is Eric Ajna. I'm your host. And uh, there's a lot going on in the world today, uh, especially right now. It is uh, Saturday evening at 8.31 p.m. in uh, Orange County, California, Saturday, May 30th. And as you may have heard, there's a lot of chaos in the streets right now, a lot of backlash over what happened recently in Minnesota with the death of George Floyd and his sort of run-in with the cops. And uh, I'm just hearing sirens and police force all day long um, on their way out to the streets to sort of just be available and present to some of the protests that are happening all over the world right now, and with good reason. And I'd like to take this moment to just give everybody a reminder listening that we are embarking on a great awakening. And this awakening is going to happen in a multitude of different ways. It's going to happen spiritually. It's going to happen emotionally. It's going to happen uh, even in practical ways in our association with other people, in our relationships, and every way that you can possibly imagine. So it's so important that we all stand within our truth, that we operate from love, and that we're always being authentic to our true selves. Our true selves being the place inside that's always operating from the most genuine place that we can in our association with everybody in the outside world. And that is when we are tapped in fully to our divine potential. And really what this means is to use this time to really be a beacon of light for those in the world that are going through difficult times. I'd like to extend my sincere condolences to the family of uh, the victim. And if you guys are out there protesting, to do so, of course, in a peaceful way. I wanted to get into the subject today because this is something... uh, relative, although it's not going to be um, discussing the specifics of the the George Floyd situation, but it's really a a subject about spirituality and how it can be divisive in our everyday world. And the reason why I say this is relative to what's going on in the world is because a lot of the injustices that happen between fellow man happen due to uh, misunderstanding 
of how we see reality. And those misunderstandings are driven by our personal beliefs about what life means, about what our role is in our society. And spirituality, ideology, and um, all of these different systems are wrapped into our belief systems. They're wrapped into the conditioning of who makes us what we are. It's something that we fall back largely on in order to give us a sense of security in a largely insecure world. So beliefs in a lot of ways are powerful. They can start a war. They can start a multitude of different things between other people. And the interesting thing about a belief is that it doesn't even necessarily have to be true for there to be conflict. And so as this pertains to what I'm talking about, there's this Eastern teacher named Jiddu Krishnamurti. He was an extremely important figure in world spirituality between the years of about 1895 to about 1986. He talked about many things involving the social and spiritual behaviors of humanity, talked about politics, the nature of life, and things like that. But an important thing happened to this man back in 1926 that very few religious teachers in the West hear, uh, conclude about themselves and their messages. And that is that he renounced any, affili- any affiliation with organizations in his name and declared that he didn't want to be followed worshipped or seen as a leader or a spiritual teacher. Now, if you aren't familiar with Jiddu Krishnamurti, uh, I won't go into his biography, but long story short, when he was a child, he was taken in by the Theosophy Society because they, uh, they're they a largely esoteric organization and they were awaiting the return of the next world leader. That would be something akin to Jesus Christ. He would be reincarnated into a human being and a large part of their work was trying to determine where this uh, incarnation was going to happen and in what human. And they were in India at the time, and they came across Jiddu Krishnamurti, who, which at the time was a very sort of withdrawn uh, child. He had a sort of mysticism to him that was very intriguing to the Theosophy Society. So they decided to take him from his family and give him a different life where they conditioned him to be the world teacher. And his role was going to be that at some point when he got older, he was going to address the Order of the Star as a world teacher and a world leader. So they put him through a series of tests over the years to help build him into this figure. And as he got older, he went through a series of different awakenings while in the Theosophy Society. A lot of these spiritual awakenings happened as a result of some unfortunate events that happened. One of them that was that his brother passed away. And uh, another one was that he just grew a, a large distrust for the Theosophy Society. And he was reporting to Charles Ledbetter and uh, Madame Blavatsky. And if you're not familiar with the Theosophy Society, they are for more or less like a uh, really big advocates for mystery school teachings. They wrote a lot about astral projection. They read a lot about uh, the dimensions and how to navigate through them through outer body experiences. Uh, They were in the seances and things like that. Something that he didn't really subscribe to and understand until he got way older. And then when he finally got older and he went through these series of uh, spiritual awakenings, he realized that he didn't want to be a part of these organizations because there was something much bigger going on that was largely driven by these spiritual awakenings that he was happening. So 
uh, when he renounced this, a lot of people were wondering, well, why would he do that? Well, it wasn't that he did anything wrong or that he committed any crime within that organization. His reasoning was actually quite interesting. He believed that any organization formed in the name of spirituality created a breeding ground for division to exist between other humans. And that organized spirituality forms around subjective ideas that certain groups of people ultimately end up using against each other. And they do this to, you know, justify certain sets of behaviors that inevitably cause more harm than good. Um, for example, if, if you're a Buddhist and I'm a Christian and my God is Jesus and your God is Buddha, then forming organizations around these beliefs causes division between human beings more often than not, let's be honest. And having the ability to say that sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't makes spirituality appear somewhat inconclusive and kind of fragile and it's easily manipulated. And we have to question whether true spirituality meant to appear this way, because in this way, it seems as though it's for some people, but not for everyone. It's not universal. And, uh, and it's, it, it's up to certain hierarchies of qualified individuals to decipher how the message is interpreted. I mean, there are people and hundreds of organizations out there with lots of information they want to give to us. But I can't help but feel sometimes that when I'm handed a pamphlet while walking down the street, that I'm being targeted and recruited by someone that seems a bit more interested in getting me to repent than understanding the message of love. And while I don't mind listening, I do listen. I realize at some point in the conversation that this person isn't concerned with understanding the message. Not everybody, but there are some that I've come into con contact with. They're not, they're not concerned with understanding the message, but uh, more so with whether or not I choose to agree with it or not. It makes me wonder if uh, this is really about the message or about something much more personal to us and whether we use things like religion as an outlet to justify our personal beliefs and reinforce them. While this may be great in theory, it makes me curious as to whether love is really dependent on how many people we try and convince, or whether or not love is really something I should be worried about within first. You see, one thing I realized when, uh, when I was going to churches as a child is that people love the opportunity to discuss their beliefs with others, but they have an extremely hard time being open to new ideas. And when it comes to beliefs they don't agree with, you, you won't get them to listen to you at all. I mean, which makes me wonder if there is a certain sense of subjective pleasure involved in the act of expressing beliefs, and in contrast, uh, if there is a certain level of real fear involved in not being able to take on new ideas that challenge beliefs. If the message of love was meant to bring us together, then perhaps there's, there's something worth addressing here, because more commonly than not, it divides us in the worst ways. I, I mean, I can't, I can't remember the last time I had a real deep, life-changing conversation about religion with somebody of a different religious caste that didn't end up problematic. So we grow quite accustomed to these types of differences and 
somewhat desensitized to them, even to the point where we really stop talking about spirituality altogether. I mean, what's the point? We, when we make a message of love so unbelievably personal, it, it's no wonder people try their hardest to defend what they believe. But the interesting thing about these types of situations is that religion, and when I say religion, I mean just overall spirituality. It could be any type of lineage that you follow. Um, religion tends to never bring us together unless we're in a setting that accommodates the belief like a church or a temple. And even then, there's really no promise that you'll connect the way the message is meant to connect you to the rest of the world. And you start to feel this immense emptiness that maybe spirituality is dead, or at least conventional spirituality, dogmatic spirituality. You know, even in the right environment, we never question why there are still so many differences between beliefs. It makes me rather curious whether, uh, it makes me wonder whether or not we're really looking at spirituality the right way. You know, was Buddha's message only for specific people? Uh, does a message of love only apply to a certain select few? And if so, can this really be love? I mean, it makes, it makes me wonder whether or not we really understand love or whether we make up our own conditions for this love by interpreting the message in a very self-centered way. I had this conversation with a woman one time. This was years ago. Uh, she said she was a Christian and she was talking about how everyone in the U.S. is blessed, which is why we have access to food and entertainment and certain luxuries. And a lot of these rewards were a direct result of many Americans accepting Jesus as their savior. Now, I asked her, well, what about everyone outside of the U.S.? What about third world countries that are suffering and don't have access to food? What about caste systems and the untouchables in India? I mean, there are people that don't even know who Jesus is. She went on to say that if they're suffering, if they don't have the things that we have, it's because they haven't accepted Jesus as their savior. Now, I'm not going to lump this all into one category and say all Christians are like this, but even if it's just one person, it's still very unsettling to hear something like this. I mean, can we really say that God wants people to suffer simply because they haven't read the Bible or haven't shared what we believe is a common belief? Let's think about belief, and then let's think about love, because these are the most familiar things we can associate with spirituality, regardless of what we believe. So let's look at this, I guess, in a practical way. When, when we believe something we instill within the idea a certain hope that whatever it is we believe is true. We can't be irrefutably certain that it is. For example, back in the 17th century, religious scholars approximated, this is approximated, that creation of earth happened in 4004 BC. Now, how did they do this? They read the Bible they did it by reading the Bible. By the 18th century, Western geologists believed it happened 6,000 years ago. Today, based on radioactive dating, we age the planet at around 4.6 billion years old. So we see that during the times in which science gathered this information, the consensus was that whatever they concluded was true based on the research. Um, but because 
there is so much inconsistency in this data. We see how sensitive and inconclusive our beliefs tend to be with certain things, even if science is involved. You see, science makes it easier to believe something is true, but in the giant scheme of the research, it's still just a, you know, a theoretical calculation, and it's based entirely on a collective agreement of a few people. No one on either side can be certain. Um, nobody on either side can be right. So what we do in order to avoid not knowing something is we form beliefs, which give us a sense of security in a really uncertain world. Because beliefs give us a type of foundation in which we can build spiritual houses on. And once these houses are built, we spend a great deal of our lives making absolutely sure no one comes along and tries to break in or burn it down. And this is how most people look at religion. You know, we, we tend to see it from this little space inside of our minds that are filled with beliefs and personal ideas. And we work from there. But the problem happens when we look at love. You see, love is plural, which means we and us. And we tend to get this confused because when we think of love, we tend to think of the reasons why we love someone else and what someone typically has to do in order to gain whatever love we have to give. So if we really look closely, we see that this love is, for the most part, personal and only certain people are worthy of receiving it. And this is kind of the same way we look at spirituality when we treat love this way. So instead of love being this thing, this feeling that we all share, it becomes just another set of circumstances that pushes us farther away from each other and farther away from the important thing to know about God. And in contrast to the two is that love is not personal or driven by any formulated conclusions. It's not driven by conclusions we have about certain people or situations. It isn't this thing that comes into being when we do enough public service or when we've destroyed all the bad people in the world. Love is something that is always there. It's like electricity. You can't see it, but it's there. You, if you have the tools, if you have the materials, you can see it and feel it. But typically we have a hard time experiencing love because in order to see and feel and experience love, we first have to give up any idea or belief about what it is. In other words, um, our beliefs, our personal biases, our prejudices, our lack of understanding towards new ideas will shield us from love the same way uh, ice on a windshield keeps us from seeing the road. So um, we see in, in today's world, uh, Religion seems to just separate us more than it unites us. And the reason is because we think our relationship with God and love is personal when it really belongs to everyone, regardless of what they believe. It isn't that love is for you or that person over there. It's, it's just love. You know, there's no reason for love. Love just is. It doesn't just come to you after doing hours of mantras or rep or by um, you know, repeating powerful verses, or by joining a church, and then one day it comes to you. No, no, it, we, we have to arrive and come to love, to transcend to it, because it doesn't just come to us individually at the right time. It doesn't understand life that way. 
it only sees humanity as this unified field of intelligence. And for us to experience that love, we have to see humanity the same way. You know, it, it sure, it's easier said than done. I know, especially in the world we live in today. And someone may ask, well, how do I know what love is? Well, the best way for anyone to really understand what love is, is to understand first what love isn't. Love isn't about fighting over what we believe in. It isn't killing others or hurting others in the name of God. It isn't about condemning others uh, who don't believe what you believe. And it isn't about being right or being wrong. I mean, aside of the obvious reasons, uh, we know that things couldn't be love because they hurt other people. And love and spirituality aren't about hurting other people. Love is about meeting people where they are, wherever they are. It's about sharing ideas and understanding. It's about seeing each other as, you know, this marvelous, mysterious explosion of life anywhere and everywhere all at once. So I ask that you open your mind and your heart to new ideas and that you uh, begin to see how fascinating life can be when we simply stop trying to invoke facts and just start loving. Because when we love simply because, that whole message unveils itself in a whole new way. I ask that you not get stuck in any limited aspect of reality so that you can be completely sensitive to all ideas of life and love and creation. You know, I I ask that you open yourself to new ideas and theories so that you can be open to new relationships with others even if they don't believe what you believe. You know, I, I ask that you not simply accept or reject what I say, but see if you can find truth in it by looking at your own relationship with others. See if you can find a love inside of you that has no center so that you can invite everything and everyone in regardless of spiritual beliefs. And the beautiful thing about love is that we all have it embedded in our DNA And it is hidden in the most natural place that it can possibly be, and that's in our heart. And we go searching lifetimes trying to find love. And the interesting thing about it is that it's something that we've always had. However, we've been conditioned to believe that we don't have it. And we go through this tireless search trying to find it. And ultimately, the interesting thing and the irony about the spiritual work and enlightenment is all it does is route you right back to the source, which is within. And after you go through this whole process, this whole divine play of losing yourself and remembering and losing yourself, you ultimately will arrive to that place where you started. And that's within your own heart. And that is the place from which God operates. That is the place where love operates. It is the same place that creativity operates, and we all have it within. It is our most intrinsic force. And when we are fully tapped into this love, so many beautiful things are possible, and you'll see. So uh, I wanted to just kind of touch on that today. I hope you enjoyed this segment on spirituality. And um, I Really, really, really want you guys to all be safe out there, sending prayers out to you, and um, have a beautiful evening, and we'll talk to each other soon. You could also reach Divine Nobodies at www.divine-nobodies, 
www.thepodcastmovement.com. Stay up to date with our next episodes as well as we have uh, an interview scheduled with uh, Catherine Eipel uh, in the weeks ahead. We're going to go over lots of really beautiful things as far as relationships and dynamics like that. So thank you for tuning in. Namaste. Have a good evening. <laughs>